this type of rally, we're going to start off with uh, cannibalism and entertainment. Um, since we oh, yeah, uh, Josh, I missed a few. What? I missed a few last time that I forgot about, so I was like, well, since we're still doing Hannibal, I guess we can do talk about some more cannibalism in popular culture. Yeah, Josh, have you eaten any human flesh lately? No, um, unfortunately, I have not eaten any human flesh um, lately, but maybe one day. Maybe one day, we can but only hope. I was pretty horrified by some cannibalism and entertainment that was a little unexpected. Um, in the TV show The Terror, um, which is based on the Dan Simmons novel, um, I don't remember there being that much cannibalism in the actual book, but based on what I remember from the book, if there was, it would have happened all towards the end, um, and a lot happened before that point. But there was seems like there was a lot of cannibalism in the TV show. Just a, a lot. It was really about? horrifying. Um, it is about the um, the two ships, the Terror and the Erebus, in the 1800s that went into the Arctic to try and find a way to, through the Northwest Passage, or discover the Northwest Passage, I should say, um, and they got stuck in the ice um, for the, years. What's the Northwest Passage? They thought at the time that they could find a passage that would take them from England around the Arctic and to over to the other side, um, so that they could... Um, they could make a new trade route. Like to oh, other side of what? The other side of the world to like India and stuff. Oh, okay. So they didn't know Canada was there. Well, they did, but they thought that they could um, carve their way up along the top of it um, to get to oh. the other side. I see. The Panama Canal didn't exist yet. Okay. But they were really wrong because there's nothing up there but ice and they got stuck in it and they got scurvy and they ran out of supplies. And in the book, there was this like magical, um, mythological ind indigenous people's monster that feeds on white people. Um, like a Wendigo? It's like a big, scary polar bear monster with a long neck that um, eats people horrifyingly. Oh. Anyway, eventually they have to leave the ships because they're like, we have to do something. We can't just rot on these ships. So they decide to leave the ships. And um, on the TV show, at least, they um, there was a mutiny. They split into two factions, and one faction was the pro-cannibalism faction. Um, and boy, that was pretty horrifying, um, the cannibalism. And one guy, he knew he was going to get eaten, so, like, he rubbed poison all over his body, and then he told the kidnapped captain to, um, if they try to make him eat him, not, not to eat any of him if he can avoid it, but if he can't, to eat, like, the bottom of his foot, because there wouldn't be any poison on that. Um, and so, sure enough, they kill him, and they, they eat him, and they force the captain to eat a piece of him, so he cuts a piece off the bottom of his foot so he doesn't get poisoned. Um... Unfortunately, the, um, the rest of them don't actually get to feel most of the effects of the poison because then the monster comes. But thankfully, the monster is killed because he eats the poisonous people. Oh, Spoiler alert. that's handy. Oh, yeah, I was going to read that book, but oh, well, thanks. Well, that didn't happen in the book, I don't think. That was mostly just a spoiler oh, okay. for the TV show. Oh, okay. If you say so. 
Yeah, I, I ended up talking about it that way more than I intended to. Um, the one that I forgot about, though, that I wanted to talk about, which um, Reed reminded me about and couldn't believe that I forgot to talk about, was one of my favorite horror novels, um, Exquisite Corpse by Poppy Z. Bright. And it is Reed about Poppy two... Poppy Z. Bright. Yes, Poppy Z. Bright, famous horror writer from New Orleans, um, is now known as Billy Martin, um, a trans man. And hasn't been writing for a while, but wrote under the name Poppy Z. Bright. Um, the book Exquisite Corpse is about two gay serial killers, one from England and one from New Orleans, um, who meet each other. Um, and one of them shows the other one the delights of cannibalism, among That's other so things. That's so romantic. Yeah. I know. It just, it warms the cockles of the heart before, you know, somebody eats them. Well, I only like to eat hearts whose cockles have been warmed first. <laughs> well, There's nothing more gross than a cold cockle. <laughs> I agree. Now, I do believe that you had a couple that you wanted to talk about. Yes, yeah, so one of my favorite uh, cannibalism movies is called Delicatessen. Uh, it's a mm. French film directed by Jean-Pierre Genet, who did Amelie and Alien Resurrection. Um, so <laughs> he did. Um, that's such a great combination of movies. It's such a strange combination, yeah. Um, but you know, Alien Resurrection really is just Amelie in space. That Amelie is the alien. Um, no, I don't know. I don't have a good comparison there, but I'm sure I could if I tried hard enough. But Delicatessen precedes both of those movies. You've seen? Have you seen Amelie? Yeah, it's a long time ago. Do you remember there's in the cafe where she works, there's the kind of like twitchy blonde who sells cigarettes and is always complaining about her sciatica and saying, Viva la France. Yes. And she's being watched by the little guy with the tape recorder who narrates his observations. Yes. So that actor's Dominique Pignon and he's in Alien Resurrection and he's also the lead in Delicatessen. So Delicatessen oh. takes place in like an alternate reality in this fascist state. And um, there's a butcher on the first floor of a building and then apartments. He has tenants that live in his building and they're looking for a new superintendent handyman to keep the building under repair. So he hires Dominique Pignon unbeknownst to him that the reason they're looking for a new superintendent is because they killed and ate the last one Um, because they live in this fascist state where food is being rationed and so the butcher will kill the superintendent after a while and feed the people in his apartment building and everyone's happy Um, but his daughter falls in love with Dominique Pignon and doesn't want him to be killed and eaten so uh, manic hijinks ensue as he tries to avoid being butchered yeah, and so and then I had also watched this other movie called Parents, which I think is from the early '90s. Um, so it has um, Crazy Quaid. Which one's that? Randy. Randy Quaid. Randy. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, he's the dad, and then I didn't recognize anybody else. Um, but I couldn't tell when this movie was supposed to be set because it was made for low budget in the '90s. So I'm like, is this just like a low budget '90s movie, or is it set in the '50s? Because they have a very leave it to beaver oh. kind of um style to them but they're also killing and eating people 
Mm. Um, and so the their son walks in on them, and and they're like rolling around in their underwear and covered in blood, and. Oh my God. And so it, I saw this movie when I was a kid, and I didn't obviously didn't really understand what was happening. We watched a lot of strange movies when I was a child. I just oh remember when his guidance counselor was stabbed in the pantry, and then they grill her up and eat her. Um, <laughs> and that's when it's finally confirmed that, yes, they have been eating human flesh the whole time, because it's only hinted at through most of the movie. Um, but it's just kind of interesting in that it basically takes this, like, childhood trauma of walking in on your parents having sex but like making them cannibals because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's kind of like the kid doesn't know what's going on so does he just is he just interpreting it as they're cannibals because he doesn't get it um but no they're they're actually cannibals well those are some good um good options for cannibalism and popular culture yes very good Delicious, that being, you might say. Yes. Boy, we've got a delicious book to talk about today. <laughs> we certainly do. Hello, my I'm Josh Gross. And I'm Mr. Chancellor Booger Pants. <laughs> That's what it says on the script. <laughs> Uh, do you want to introduce yourself appropriately, or do you want me to leave Mr. Chancery Booger Pants? I think we could just rebrand, you know, our podcast, the Gross and Booger Pants Show. <laughs> He's gross, I'm Booger Pants, and this is our show. Da-da. I just wanted to put a fun little surprise in there for you. I didn't actually it was expect fun. you to introduce yourself that way. Yeah, I'm a good sport. Um, oh, okay. Um... And this is Gross Misinterpretation, the podcast where we look at popular media from a queer viewpoint. Today, we will be examining the book Hannibal, the batshit sequel to Silence of the Lambs. I really think it should say that on the cover of the book, like above it. it like mine says the number one New York Times bestseller, but it really should just say the batshit sequel to Silence of the Lambs because <laughs> no, this I... book is fucking crazy. Yes, I, I totally agree. Stephen King was a big fan of it. Do you have the blurb from Stephen King on your book? Um, I, you know, I thought I did, but maybe I was thinking, oh, no, wait, it's inside. Um, it's, it's, oh, no, it is on the back. Sorry, I can't read. Um, Stephen King says, this is one of the two most frightening popular novels of our time, the other being The Exorcist. That is not the same blurb that I have on my book. Well, that's what it has on the back, and then on the inside, there's literally half a page from Stephen King. Well, mine says, is it as good as Red Dragon and the Silence of the Lambs? No, this one is better. So, mine has that, but it also has the, it's a little unabridged. He says, is it as good as Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs? It is a pleasure to reply in the negative. No, not as good. This one is better. So like Stephen King, way too many fucking words in his review. Yes. Um, the only place he gets edited, I guess, is for blurbs on the backs of books. I guess so. And that, yeah, that was the best place to do it. But he says that Hannibal is a full-out, unabashed horror novel. Not really a sequel at all, but the third and most satisfying part of one very long and scary ride through the haunted palace of abnormal psychiatry. Yeah, I don't know about that. 
He also calls it a novel that... It's a novel that bravely and cleverly erases the line between popular fiction and literature, and it is very much to be prized. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. That's what he says. Well, I strongly disagree about it connecting the three books together in any meaningful way. The first two are completely different. Um, Anyway, um, I'm going to move on to the context since I'm already talking about it. Uh, It was written in 1999, and it took Thomas Harris 11 years to write this follow-up to Silence of the Lambs, during which Silence of the Lambs was turned into an Oscar-winning movie and became a worldwide sensation. I strongly suspect that this was the reason he deviated from his usual genre thriller format to create this book, um, and it was definitely influenced by the popularity of Hannibal Lecter in general. Um, Because the first two, um, Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs, they're very much straightforward thriller genre thriller books um there's nothing unnecessary they're pretty fast paced um there's there's also none of this um sexual content that we see in this one either in fact on our last podcast i was thinking as i was reading silence of the lambs that maybe thomas harris is asexual since there was no male gaze there was no talk of sex in any capacity um and yeah and then i read this one and it was completely the opposite yeah, there is a lot of explicit sexual content in this book. I I will admit that, like, I feel like this is honestly a book in which the plot cannot be summarized because it is so crazy and it's so oh. plot heavy. What I enjoyed about it is that, I mean, every single chapter, something happens. Yes. It's very readable. Um, there's not many books that I would call a page turner. And this was my second time reading this book and I could not put it down. I just wanted to keep reading it to know what lunatic psycho bullshit would happen next. And that's a compliment. I will disagree a little bit. There was a lot of, um, the Florence stuff with Potsy where I was just kind of wishing it would move along. But that might also be because I'm so familiar with the movie and I've revisited the movie so many times. I just kind of wanted to get through that part. Um, that so is that might have been what my problem was. That is the slowest part of the book. But even that I appreciated because he just works in like another like past serial killer case. And there's all sorts of just weird stuff with the snuff filmmakers and... Yeah, what are they we always should definitely saying? talk about Dirty that. Madonna. They're always saying Dirty Madonna, which cracks me up. And we should definitely talk about that other serial killer because he was he was an actual serial killer in real life. Um, but oh, yes, I didn't it turns out. Yeah, I did a, a tiny little bit of research. Um, I would not get too excited about that. Um, but yes, I did actually write my plot summary, so we can do our dueling plot summaries if you would like. Hannibal Lecter, famous cannibal is living under an assumed identity in Italy. But you know what happens when you assume you make an ass of you and the FBI. Everyone (laughs) wants a piece of Hannibal, from Clarice Starling at the FBI to Mason Verger, a faceless psychopath child molester who is one of Hannibal's surviving victims. This book has it all. Man-eating pigs, cattle prods up the butt, misogyny, brain-eating, daddy issues, everything but a coherent ending. Truly a modern pulp classic. Suck on that, Stephen King. OMG, um, that last part, you sounded like Stefan from Saturday Night Live. Who's that? (laughs) 
it's a it's a, a character by Bill Hader who is always talking about the hottest clubs in New York, and they always include all these really bizarre things. And so you oh. sounded <laughs> exactly like that. Oh, good. I'll take that as a compliment. Maybe you can YouTube it later. Maybe. Um, so I had forgotten I had even written a plot summary. I'm not even. I haven't even read over it since I wrote it. So I don't know what this is going to be like, but we'll find out. That was Ooh, a very good can't plot wait. summary, though. Um, it was almost as batshit as the book itself. <laughs> Let's see here. Okay. Um, Clarice Starling, over the course of one novel, goes from an FBI agent shooting five people in a fish market and hunting for Hannibal Lecter to rescuing him from being eaten by giant Italian pigs, fondling her dead dad's corpse, <laughs> dining on the brains of her arch enemy, getting drug-induced hypnotherapy, and suckling Hannibal Lecter at her breast before running away to Argentina <laughs> with him. This book also has 700 pages about pig breeding and the history of Florence. Wow, yeah, that's true. I have to say, oh. like, I know we'll talk about the movie at some point, and I can't remember if if I said this on our last podcast, but if I did, it bears repeating. I When I read the end of this book, when Clarice Starling practically breastfeeds Hannibal Lecter, I always picture Jodie Foster reading the book and thinking, I am not putting my tit in Anthony Hopkins' mouth. <laughs> like, like I, I just picture that every single time I think of it. That's probably what happened. And like, Julianne Moore was like, you know what? I need the work. I'll take it. <laughs> I mean, even though they changed the ending, it's still like, oh my God. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spoiler alerts, by the way. Um, yeah, that ending needs to be thoroughly discussed, but, um, yeah, I'm glad that we did our plot summaries and that I remember to do it. Yeah, well, speaking of other things you remember, <laughs> why don't you tell us about the first time you read this book? Because we both read this book, like, when it first came out. Yes, um, I was 17 when this book came out, and, um... I don't remember why I wanted to read it so much. Um, I had sort of seen half the Silence of the Lambs because my friends peer pressured me into it. Um, but I don't think I had seen the whole thing. And so oh. I wasn't... I don't know why the hell I was so excited to read this book. But I was. Because um, I literally well, shoplifted a copy of the audiobook. And there was so much... I mean, this was the most hyped book that, like, had ever come out in my lifetime that I well, remember... Well, that's true. Like, literally living this hype around it. You know, it was talked about on TV... It was in Entertainment Weekly. They probably talked about it on the Today Show. All the popular media talked about it. So that, yeah, that's probably that probably contributed to my desire to read it. So, um, yeah, I um, I shoplifted a copy of the audiobook. Apparently, that particular one was read by Thomas Harris, but I don't remember it very well. Um, and I remember just loving the shit out of it um, when I was a teenager. And then when the movie came out in two thousand one, um, I saw it while I was on my very first official date. And I have been a big fan of the movie ever since, um, but I haven't really revisited the book until now. Uh, but I've seen the movie multiple times. Oh, yeah. So I um, I read the book also when it first came out. I was working at my first job, which was at the concession stand at the softball field near Elvis Presley's birthplace in Tupelo, Mississippi. Yeah, so pe parents would come before the game and buy snacks and stuff. And then hardly anybody else would come. So I just read books all summer. And I remember reading Hannibal. I can't remember if I read Silence of the Lambs before or after Hannibal, because I did read that book also that summer. 
Oh, but, I remember I, I read Silence of the Lambs after. I might have also read it after. I had seen the movie, though, and I was a big fan of the movie. Um, so reading the book was very exciting. And I don't think I understood. I was very scandalized, I think, by a lot of the sexual content and the violence um, in the book. And I didn't really understand what was happening. But thinking about it again, reading it again, I was like, okay, I had probably read like 10 adult books in my life, you know, at that point. I was 15. Right. So I hadn't read a lot. So I didn't really understand how completely fucking nuts this book was. And reading it now as an adult, I'm like, I don't know if I've ever read anything crazier than this book. Right. <laughs> like, without, like, the context of other, you know, adult books, um, or without a lot of other adult books, um, it, it, you know, you just read it, you take it for what it is. But um, reading it now as an, a much older adult who has read tons of books now, um, it's it's quite obvious what a weird freak show this book is yes like it's really crazy and i mean just i wish i could go back in time and absorb it in its full context and understand what that was like yeah and i remember being like really disgusted by the brain eating scene which is also in the movie and having to set the book down and like take a break (laughs) (laughs) because it was just so intense for me I think you were a little more sensitive than I, but you were also younger than I was, too. So I think I was just like, yeah, brain eating. I'm on it. I mean, that's definitely how I am now. I was like, ooh, you know, martini glass filled with children's tears and like, (laughs) you know, Clarice's dad's skeleton practically dancing around. Like, I just couldn't get enough of it. Death boners, everything. Yes, those uh, hanging erections. That I very vividly remembered. I mean, that practically pops out and pokes you right in the eye as you're reading it. So, I mean, I couldn't. That stuck in my memory. Yeah, I did not remember that. And I did look it up to see if Thomas Harris knew what he was talking about. And uh, yes, that is uh, something that can happen with a corpse, especially if it's somebody who has been hung. Hmm. Wow. Talk about hung. Yeah. Hey, I knew you were going there. So where are we go- where are we even where do we even start with this crazy ass book? Well, considering what the podcast is uh, about, we should probably start with the specific queerness. Queerness, like like Margot. Like Margot, she is our our main queer person of the book. Mm-hmm. Margot Verger is the sister of Mason Verger. Mason Verger is the um, the victim of Hannibal Lecter who survived. Um, Hannibal, oh, I know, I know the movie version of the story. I don't remember if this is how it happened in the book, but Hannibal gave him poppers and, um, psychedelic drugs, um, and told him to cut pieces of his face off and feed them to dogs. Um, and so he doesn't have a face and like he ate his own nose. Um, that's exactly what happens in the book. And he's now confined to a bed where he has, like, skin grafts on his face and he has tubes coming into and out. He's got a... He's on a ventilator um, and he has little devices to help him communicate. Um, and he and, can't blink because he has no eyelids. Right, so he has to have this special goggle over his eye so that it can moisten it every now and then. Yeah, it um, sprays water like mist. 
Yes, thankfully he is very rich, um, has lots of money, so he can afford all this ridiculous nonsense to keep himself alive and vengeful. Um, and his sister um, is poor, uninherited Margot Verger, um, a giant, muscly lesbian um, that really wants to have a kid, um, specifically with Mason's sperm, um, so that there can be an heir and that, um, you know, her and her wife, Judy, I think is her name, can have a child together, but also so that she can also be part of the inheritance if mm. Mason dies. Mm-hmm. So when we're first introduced to her, it's from Clarice's point of view, um, and, it, the text says, a close inspection, she was a woman. So she has a very masculine outline. Yeah, that was brought up a lot. Um, and, like, the whole thing about her being able to pee standing up. Um, and her taking hormones, which I assume was testosterone. I don't think this is because of a, a trans thing. I think this is more of a muscle building thing, though. Well, later on in this same introduction, Clarice observes... That Margot's corn silk hair. Does that mean it's blonde? What it's is that? very blonde and um, and kind of thin, I would think, like corn silk. Her corn silk hair had receded enough to make Starling wonder if she took steroids and had to tape her clitoris down. Which is kind of a kind of a lot to take in. That's a, well, well, um, that's what she said. And, um, but she, so just from that description, she kind of reminded me of China. Do you remember China from the WWE? I, I do. Poor China. I definitely remember her. Yeah. So Margot really reminded me of like China, but blonde. Right. Um, and WWE was really popular at the time. And I think China was around then, right? I don't know. My yeah. mom used to watch WW. It was still WWF, I think. At the time, uh, and then there was what was the other one? WCW. WCW. I don't remember which one China was on, but my mom used to watch it with her boyfriend, and so we, we were very familiar with with China. My stepfather watched a lot of wrestling. Um, he still does, um, and so that's how I know who she is. But she, Margot, definitely falls into the female bodybuilder stereotypes. Absolutely. She cracks Mar- walnuts. Yeah, she can she can crack walnuts with her with her hands. Um, she can do it one handed also, as she demonstrated for somebody. But anyway, um, yeah. So Margot wal- walnut cracking, peeing standing up, um, pr- protruding a, genitalia. There's a few other things about her that I noticed. Um, one was her um, moral ambiguousness, but that seems present in just about every character in the book. Um, yes. Also, the um, the rape and switch trope is kind of suggested because um, she is a lesbian now, and she was kind of, she was molested um, as a child, um, specifically by her own brother. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that part in the book? Um, I mean, she she definitely she mentions it frequently, right? Um, and her relationship with Barney was complicated can you remind us who barney is barney is the um the prison guard um he we first met him in silence of the lambs i mean sort of barely um and then he becomes an actual full character in this book um and i didn't remember that from um the book um 
because he's not in the movie that much. There's just one main scene in the movie that he's in, but he really is a full-fledged character in the book, um, and he has kind of this weird friendship with Margot. Um, but there's this part where he's becoming attracted to her, um, and she decides to get into the shower with him like she's just one of the dudes. Um, and, of course, he becomes aroused, and she turns around and calls him a faggot um, for that being attracted so to weird. her. That was so weird. Yeah. So, like, I was like, am I supposed to interpret that she even views herself as a man, like, in this scene, that for calling him that, for being attracted to her... It's another confusing aspect of her whole um, sexuality and gender identity because she doesn't seem like she specifically has a male gender identity um, or wants, to, or, you know, is a, a trans man. Um, but there's there's things that would suggest otherwise, um, yeah. which may just be um, Thomas Harris wanting to confuse the issue. Um, or work some sort of, you know, that aspect into it from the Silence of the Lambs, or maybe he's just weird. I feel like he's just weird. Everybody has some sort of, you know, not, you know, non, you know, base. I can't think of the right word, but everybody has something that Thomas Harris would consider, like, you know, seedy or sleazy going on with them. Right. And I feel like he would... You know, just just the sheer fact that she is a female bodybuilder is considered like ooh weird and other otherized. Right. She's not really a fully developed character, even though I think we are supposed to ultimately sympathize with her. Yeah, she was definitely framed as somebody we were supposed to be rooting for, um, but reading it this time through, I I kind of wasn't, um, just because she was so problematic in multiple ways. Um, also, speaking of underdeveloped ca- characters, um, her girlfriend, um, who I'm, I think is named Judy, um, <laughs> had almost no character de- development at all. I mean, she's barely in the book. Um, I think there's only a couple of scenes where she's actually there, and one of them's when she when Barney comes over to have a barbecue with him, and um, that's it. I think that's the only time she appears like on page. Otherwise, they just talk about her. Right, um, but technically she's a she's another queer character in this book, whether she's fully realized or even in it that much. Um, she still exists. She's <laughs> she still exists. Don't worry, Josh. I'm not er- erasing Judy. Um, I don't remember much about Margot in the movie. Is she in the movie? I don't even think she's in the movie. Um, I don't think she's in the movie because Mason in the movie just gets dumped into the pig pit. Um, yes. But uh, Margot in the TV show Hannibal um, is a, a much better done character. I mean, she's still a little morally ambiguous, but she's um, she's done a little better. Um, I remember reading an article about um, an Brian Fuller um, talking about her character and how she is kind of problematic in the book, and he wanted to kind of give her a better storyline um, and kind of a better, more interesting character um, for the Hannibal TV show. Yeah, here she ultimately serves to, like, satisfy this revenge desire. Um, You know, Mason raped and abused her as a child, so here she literally takes a cattle prod and puts it up his butt to stimulate his prostate so that she can steal his sperm, and then she chokes him to death with his pet eel. Yeah, she literally takes his eel. Which is very phallic. 
and shoves it down his throat to kill him, um, which is a lot. There's something I have to, you know, this is something about me, the dark side of me. Boy, did I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I vividly remember that from the first time I read it. And as a teenager, I was like, yeah. It's very satisfying in this primal way. Yes. Um, Like, I'm going to do to you exactly what you did to me or wanted to do to me. Right. It does satisfy this kind of lizard brain, you know, feeling. Um, So this book did the same. Um, the next so Josh, why don't we talk about Ray Liotta? <laughs> so um, to discuss our further discussion on um, specific queerness, we can talk about Paul Crindler, um, who was played by Ray Liotta in the movie. Um, he himself is not gay, but he does like to talk about them a lot. He is from the Justice Department, and he has been Clarice Starling's number one enemy since Silence of the Lambs, and he's a general douchebag. Um mm who gets his brain eaten at the end of the book. Um, Yum. Yes. He is a constant source of homophobia. Um, He likes to think about Clarice being a lesbian a lot. He also talks about... He talks about Hannibal Lecter being gay. Um, And when Clarice kind of asks him why he thinks that um, Hannibal Lecter is gay, he he talks about um, all that tea party food and stuff um, and gay shit like that. Which is really funny because um, my dad said something really similar about Anthony Bourdain one time. Um, oh. <laughs> he's like, I, I always thought Anthony Bourdain was gay. And I was like, why on earth did you think that, Dad? And he's like, well, just because of all that, you know, that gay shit he eats and stuff like that, I guess. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I think there's there was an older stereotype of, like, men with taste being gay. Right, like, you know, any man that appreciates the finer things or things that are d- determined to be more feminine than, you know, a beefsteak, I guess, are, are all very effeminate and gay. Right, and I feel like, I mean, that stereotype still exists just because it's so ingrained in popular culture, but mm-hmm. it's definitely not true. I feel like most gays these days, myself included, it's just like Ariana Grande and Rita Ora and Britney Spears... I'd like to think I hold myself to a higher standard. I would appreciate if you didn't call Ariana Grande a low standard. <laughs> uh, my mistake. Uh, forgive me. It, but it's a different kind of taste. We're, I want to talk about taste, Mr. Later. We'll get to that. But we're still talking about the queers right now. We're still talking about queers. And yes, yeah, so um, Krindler's uh, hatred of Starling comes from like a teenage sexual encounter with a girl who taunted him for being queer because he didn't have a boner. Right. Um, And so he's felt the need ever since to assert his masculinity with Clarice because she reminds him of that random backseat hookup. Yeah, which is gross. And it's another example of an insecure straight guy um, just acting like a complete asshole. Well, that's, you know, set up as a theme from the very first page of the book when some rando says, women, always late. Right. So, that and that uh, that was a theme in Silence of the Lambs as well, the uphill battle that Clarice has to climb. I felt it was better um, done in Silence of the Lambs and more present in Silence of the Lambs. Hannibal seems more revenge-focused. Definitely. I mean, that's the solution that 
comes about in this book. Did you see Art of Self-Defense? I, I forget. Not yet. There's a really good line in that movie where a guy says, and then I realized that the fact that she's a woman will prevent her from ever being a man. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that could be a, a line in, in Hannibal as well. But I will say that if you're interested, you know, in, in themes of toxic masculinity and, and misogyny, it's a very good movie to see. It's a great satire on the on the artifice of masculinity. Yeah, just based on the trailer alone, I wanted to see it, but I wasn't quite sure. Um, so I'm glad that you saw it and enjoyed it so much, because now I really want to see it. Highly recommended. Um, what else did you want to talk about? Are there any other queer things? AIDS? Do you want to talk about AIDS? Well, it's because of Velda Drumgo has AIDS. Oh, that's right. Yes. Um, she has AIDS, and there was a big thing about her having AIDS because they were like, be careful with her. You know, if you grab her by the head to push her into the car, make sure she's not hiding needles in her hair. She will spit on you and everything else. Uh, that seemed very um, indicative of the, the time period and the, the general straight AIDS panic of the time. Right, this woman doesn't just have AIDS, but she's intent on infecting others with AIDS purposefully. Even if she's doing it in a way that would never give anybody else AIDS. Right. But the fear is there. Right. Um, As a side note, I felt that that entire sequence um, was done infinitely better in the movie. It was so well plotted and put together in the movie compared to the, the book, I feel like. I didn't rewatch the movie. I just read the book. I just know the movie so well that I knew that off the top of my head. Well, I'm impressed. You should be impressed. I am. I think that's the majority of the queer. Um, one scene I remember from the movie that's different in the book is Hannibal Lecter and a child on a plane. Um, and in the movie, it's it's played for laughs at the end because he feeds the kid a piece of Paul Krendler's brain. Right. Um, but in the book, I had forgotten the scene was in the book because it's not as memorable. And it's mostly just Hannibal Lecter being a pretentious dick about airplane food. The whole scene was very elitist, um, I felt. Just the way it was described as just like, um, you know, like a cattle car of white trash that Hannibal is being forced to endure. Um, right, with, he's uh, too good for that. Right. Um, and it definitely... Um, shows this newer more elitist Hannibal Lecter that seems to have come along um, mostly I'm going to guess from the popularity of him in general from the movie The Silence of the Lambs I don't know I kind of read him that way in Silence of the Lambs too I felt like he's just the type of person that wants to impress people by what he knows and wants to seem like he's right and toy with people because he thinks he's better than them well I will agree to to a certain extent but I also found him um a lot cruder um, and um, a less, a lot less consistent in Silence of the Lambs. Um, and Hannibal, oh, he that's defi- true. He definitely seemed in Hannibal to be a lot more educated, um, a lot more elitist, um, and um, a lot less crude. Well, maybe living in Italy is a. What is he? What is he supposed to be in Italy? Is he a teacher? Uh, he is. Um, he's a. He's like a curator for that museum. Oh, that's right. Okay, yes, because they have, like, he's, like, the interim curator, right, though? And they're going to interview to decide whether to keep him? I think they did um, eventually 
decide that he was going to stay. But yes, he was taking over from the previous one um, who disappeared. We're going to assume that Hannibal uh, snacked on him to get the position yeah. in the first place. But yeah, Hannibal and his like expensive tastes and all that stuff, just it felt very put upon for me. You know, a desire to cultivate this persona in which he is superior um, and people just seem to fall for it. But um, I also don't trust old men who sound smart, like inherently. Well, I also think that Thomas Harris wasn't smart enough or tasteful enough to give Hannibal Lecter the, the justice that he intended. Like, I don't think well, he got there. Ma- yeah, maybe that's why he comes across that way, because that's right. how the author is coming across. It's someone punching above his level. Right. I definitely have a, an idea in mind of what I think Hannibal Lecter is like, and it's certainly not what came across with the book. Um, and yeah. I think it's probably more in line with um, television show Hannibal um, than it is with how he was written in, in the book. Yeah. Yeah, I just, I, I, I don't think there are many people just in general who like have that level of intelligence. And I feel like most of the time when people sound smart, they're doing a little more than that, which is just sounding smart. I was at this very unfortunate dinner party once where um, this guy who annoys me um, was talking about feelings and how it's so strange that they're called feelings like happiness and sadness when they're intangible and you can't feel them and why are they called feelings oh Jesus Christ and someone goes what about emotions (laughs) like (laughs) And the guy just ignored him. If only there was a better word. Are if you only serious? There was a better word for f- than feeling, since we can't feel them. Even though somebody had provided the the appropriate word for them. Yes. And afterwards, someone was like, "Oh, so and so. You know, he's so smart. He's so deep." I was like, "I think he has dementia. Like, not <laughs> in like a insulting way, but like I'm concerned because he was not making a lick of fucking sense." <laughs> And honestly, that was the kinder thing for me to say than to be like, he's a pretentious dick who's just trying to sound smart. Yes, if you have enough confidence, it doesn't matter whether you're actually smart or not or whether you have dementia or not. You know, some people will just go with it. Some people just go with it. And there's definitely a certain type of person who's much more comfortable going with it than others. Mm, Yes. Which leads me to my very important question to ask you. So one thing that happens multiple times in this book, I think twice, is that we see the pink tip of Hannibal Lecter's tongue sticking out of his mouth. One One, time it was pink and one time it was red. Oh, maybe it. Okay, well, maybe he had had some Kool-Aid. Maybe so. Um, But I just wanted to ask you, like, is there anything in life more disgusting than an old white guy with his mouth hanging open? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, there, there is not. Um, it wasn't, uh, yeah, that was my immediate reaction was kind of like, oh, yuck. Uh, especially because he's, he's definitely supposed to be in like his 60s. Um, yeah. And have you, have you, do you, do you encounter that a lot? Just like some old white guy in his mouth is just like hanging open? Oh, well, yes, I, I I interact with a lot of older men on a regular basis. 
Well, we don't need to know about your personal life, Josh, oh, on this my podcast. Oh, my goodness. I should have seen that coming from a mile away. <laughs> Thanks, coach. <laughs> All right. Where were we? We were talking about old men with their mouths open uh-huh. and Hannibal Lecter's put-upon pretentious sense of taste. You know what else um, Hannibal did a lot in the movie, I noticed, which I thought was what? kind of funny? Um, he would say, okie dokie. He's, he's really? It, yes, he said it several times. Like, there's, like, when he's getting ready to, like, he's got Potsy, like, tied with cord to the the uh, the dolly, and he's, like, getting ready to wheel him over. He's like, okie dokie. Um, oh. he, he said it several times in the movie, and it it was always kind of funny because you realize it's just, like, this Hannibal Lecter saying okie dokie, but it's also something kind of ominous about it as well. Like, it kind of worked, and, and it kind of didn't. Is this just like a Stephen King, like, I'm going to sing the name game before I kill you, but more, like, concise and to the point? Yes, yes, very much like that. One thing I, and I had another important question to ask you, um, regarding Margot, we find out at one point that Margot used to be one of Hannibal Lecter's patients as well. Oh, yes. Uh, um, and Margot tells Hannibal that in therapy, he had just advised her to kill her brother. Um, and in a way, that sounded like good advice for me. And so I was wondering if Hannibal Lecter was a good therapist. Well, I guess... Not by, th- like, standards of therapy, but just by, like... I mean, in general, honestly, it was probably very cathartic for her to kill her brother. And that was a catharsis that I don't think she would have achieved through meditation or <laughs> mindfulness. Right. So, you know, her situation was so uniquely and perversely fucked up. Yes, he is probably a good psychologist in the context of um, practicality um, and what was right for the situation as opposed to what's necessarily legal or appropriate for a psychology. Or moral. Yeah, or moral. Um, that happened in the, in the TV show also. Um, he, he just flat out told Margo to kill him. Um, mm, yeah. And uh, she, she commented on it, actually. She was like, oh, what kind of a psychologist are you? So one thing I found interesting, you know, this is a book from 1999, i.e. the Stone Age. Right. Because they still had dial-up internet. Um, and I find it really interesting how it's a, almost a recurring commentary about how they can't get anything done because of how fucking slow the internet is. Did you catch that? Yeah. So it was definitely right during that time period where we were kind of moving into newer technology. Well, they mentioned, because Jack Crawford, who is a character in Silence of the Lambs, is also in this one. And one of the first things he says is how his goal is to make their, like, crime database accessible on the internet. Right, yeah, VICAP. Um, And, yeah, and there's um, talk about how so many of the police precincts in Italy still just have paper files and it takes forever to get any information from them and i feel like an overall theme of the book is like hannibal lecter would have been caught a hell of a lot sooner if we had the internet yeah and it just i'm sure there's research out there but it got me thinking you know we don't hear as much about serial killers these days and like or you know is it in 2019 are people just getting caught sooner because of the internet you know like like or like what is it Am I just crazy to think that? Well, we definitely hear about them less, um, but they are still there. Like, there's the Golden State Killer that, you know, we recently had a whole book about and who was caught because of DNA testing um, 
like those DNA testing services where they take your they analyze your DNA and tell you you know where you're from. Um, mm, mm-hmm. um, so they're definitely still out there, but I definitely think they're 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 better at catching them. Um, yeah, I'm not saying they're gone. It's just yeah, I feel like I feel like making these connections would happen a lot quicker, you know, today than it would right. even just 20 years ago. Right, so that's probably why there's so much about them in the 70s is because it was just such a slog to get all the, the information together and get everybody on the same page. And, I mean, like, mm-hmm. Ted Bundy went to, like, five different states, right? Um, yeah. So, you know, you're definitely right about that. Yeah, I just found that an interesting little, like, mini mini theme. So, I, when I was talking about Hannibal Lecter wondering if he was a good therapist. There's that other doctor in it. Doctor Doctor Dumbling. Yeah. How am I supposed to say his name? I mean he just sounds like an idiot. Doctor Dumbling. He was dumb. Um he is dumb. He puts the dumb in Dumbling. Um and he but I mean he's kinda right about his psychoanalysis of Clarice Starling and how she has this lasting attachment to her father which he calls an imago or imago it looks like both are acceptable pronunciations i'm going to click play on this google thing and have it say it for us let's see if we can hear it oh no because it's coming out of my headphones (laughs) so you're not gonna hear it (laughs) but he said imago i swear um so it has two definitions from dictionary.com one is an unconscious idealized mental image of someone especially a parent which is what dr dumbling is talking about but what they don't mention in the book that i found really thought-provoking is that it's also the final and fully developed adult stage of an insect do they use that word in silence of the lambs um i don't remember but i do do remember they talked about it in the hannibal tv show um, they mm. talked about the Imago um, to, to some extent, if I recall, during the, the Mason and Margot um, sections of season two. Um, and so when you noticed it in the book, I was like, oh, yeah, they talked about this in the TV show. Well, I just found that unexpectedly, like, literary, considering what utter right. garbage the rest of the book is. Yes, and how it kind of connects to that... Um, that idea of the the moth in the first book um, mm-hmm. and its transformation. So one thing that I kept commenting on, um, I kept writing notes on when I was reading through the book this time, um, was how weird this book was written um, compared to his other fairly standard and solid genre thrillers before this. There's a lot of weird stuff going on in this book. For one thing, there's some chapters that had like something before them like a little I don't know like a title or a statement or a quote I think there was Oh yeah, but only like two or three of them. Yeah, like chapter 1 it says you would think that such a day would tremble to begin. Yeah, that was really strange. It was, especially considering it was not consistent through the book um and it was attributed to nothing. Right. Yeah, that was weird. Um, so that was that was a particularly weird thing. Um, the other thing is that he kept moving in and out of um, past and present tense. Um, a, yes. a lot of times he did that at the beginning of a chapter because he would almost set it up like it was um, a script. 
where he was just stating the setting and what was going on at the beginning of this part of the script. Um, the chapters often... He did, he did do that in Silence of the Lambs, too, though. Oh, man, I didn't even notice. Yeah. Because he would... A lot of the chapters would start with a, an incomplete sentence, um, like a script setting, um, and then would also be in present tense, and then that would just, like, fall by the wayside as he continued into the chapter. Um, mm mm-hmm. <laughs> One chapter just ends with Clarice saying, "What?" Which I thought, <laughs> which I thought that was, was funny. What, that was exactly how I what I said when I closed the book. What? <laughs> um, there is some. There is a couple of occasions of weird, unnatural expository dialogue, like when um, it was being mentioned that Crawford's wife had died. It was just kind of shoehorned into the dialogue. Hmm. Oh, there is a ch- there is a chapter's opening sentence that is almost like the opening sentence to Silence of the Lambs, which I noticed because you literally read the opening sentence of Silence of the Lambs on the last pad- podcast. And this was Oh, I did. I didn't notice the sentence though in this one. Where was that? It was on the beginning of chapter 8. And it says Behavioral science is the FBI section that deals with serial murder. Down in its basement offices, the air is cool and still. Well, that first sentence is basically like the beginning of Silence of the Lambs. Oh. Wild. Well, I did do a, like, Google book search, and Silence of the Lambs does mention Imago. Oh, it did. It did mention it. Um... Uh, Hannibal Lecter mentions it. He's, he says that um, a caterpillar becomes a pupa in its chrysalis. Then it emerges, comes out of its secret changing room as the beautiful Omega, and then very, like, douchey male, like, do you know what an Omega is, Clarice? Uh-huh. And she's like an adult winged insect, because how the hell would she know that? But she does. But what else? She shook her hand, and he says, it's a term from the dead religion of psychoanal psychoanalysis an omega is an image of the parent blah 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 blah. so i guess it's not that important because he brought it up in silence of the lambs and explained it i think it's so interesting less, that i'm less impressed now <laughs> i'm not i'm more impressed because he ties the books two to books together with this with this same concept that is used in different ways in two different books well i guess so the first one was about the bug and this one is about hannibal lecter literally reanimating her dead dad yeah so let's talk about this crazy ass ending. Let's talk about that ending. Yeah, it's crazy. It is crazy. So any, anybody who's seen the movie knows the iconic brain eating scene. And I guess it's a testament to both how vivid that is in the movie and how crazy this book is that I had forgotten all of the other crazy shit that happened at the end of this book. Yes, yeah, like so the had fact I. that. Hannibal Lecter digs up Clarice's dad's skeleton and through like a combination of psychotropic drugs and I guess I don't know puppetry like 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 I'm picturing Hannibal (laughs) Lecter like holding the skeleton almost like a marionette like bringing it in to the room (laughs) and she's like hey daddy you know she knows it's him I guess he's got like a label on his rib bone that says hi i'm mr starling (laughs) but because how else would she know but um yeah um the and the 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 two endings are very different in um 
in tone that the in the book it's very um it's very um vague and kind of um dreamy um because she's she's drugged she's being hypnotized she's fondling her dad's corpse um she's you know eating brain uh, she's doing all these weird things. And well, it kind just of to go- be specific, I know that was your word choice, but anything could happen in this book. She's not actually, like, fondling her dad's corpse in a sexual way. I just want to specify. Is she? Maybe. You don't know. You don't know what she did in that room. Well, that's true. She is just in a room with the skeleton. I, I was also just re- just saying what I had said in the, the summary anyway, because it's funny. But you're right. Well, I just wanted to clarify, because, I mean, that could happen in this book. Who knows? It could be a whole page about her, like, scraping her dad's pelvic holes or whatever. I That's don't know. true. That that was a little misleading of me, because, you know, with everything else that happened in the book, then, yeah. No, I understand. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, in, the, um, in the movie, she's resisting every step of the way during the ending of the movie. Um, mm-hmm. And you can tell that Julianne Moore Clarice is not putting up with this shit. She might go along with it because she doesn't have a choice in the matter, but, like, she tried to steal the knife off the table, and, like, Hannibal notices, and he's like, let's give that back to me. Um, and, like, she um, she handcuffs him to the refrigerator door at the end. Um, mm-hmm. Like, she's fighting to the very end. You knew that Clarice was not going to run away with him. Um, and the the book was was quite a bit different. Um, you didn't. She's she enjoys it. You know, in she she's like asking for a second helping a brain. She's like, oh, this right. is good. Yeah, she was definitely all in, whether because of the drugs and the hypnotism, or just because she's just had enough of this bullshit she's been dealing with so far in her life. Um, she was definitely all in and ready mm-hmm. to take it wherever it happened to take her. It's just such a sudden shift. It really takes me aback and since i knew how it ended since this was my second read i was really looking for like clues and stuff throughout right and like there's a couple of sentences but the work isn't done to make the transformation from fbi agent to hannibal lecter's like horny wife make that believable at all no you're you're right um, I think there should have been a lot more set up in the rest of the book. I mean, there was a lot of setup for her disillusionment from the FBI, but I don't think that automatically means, hey, I think serial killers are cool now. Um, right. There should have been a lot more to do with that. Um, the other thing um, is when the movie came out on DVD, I was very excited because I saw that the DVD had an alternate ending, and I thought, oh, maybe they did do the book ending, um, and they just changed it. Um, and they put that ending on the DVD. So I Ooh. I excitedly went to Blockbuster Video and rented the DVD and took it home. And the, the alternate ending was almost exactly the same as the original movie ending. And nobody <laughs> ran away with Hannibal Lecter. Um, I was so <laughs> upset and disappointed. I feel like the alternate endings are always a disappointment. Yes. But yeah, so yeah, this ending, so... She, like, I guess experiences closure through this, uh, shall we say, unconventional therapeutic technique of communing with her dead father's skeleton. Um, Is drugged and hypnotized by Hannibal Lecter, but still maybe likes eating the brain. And then, like, 
thinks for some reason about like breastfeeding and like pours wine on her boob and has Hannibal Lecter lick it off. There was a big breastfeeding theme in the book, I felt like, because there was a few other times in the book where breastfeeding was mentioned, um, oddly, and um, I was wondering if, like, he was setting this up for the ending or something. Yeah, Um, those were some of those lazy clues that I had noticed. The only one I can remember now was how they bring up Catherine Martin again from the first movie. Right. And how the senator had breastfed her. Um, and we haven't even talked about the flashbacks to Hannibal's youth that are sprinkled throughout the book. Um, are Is there breastfeeding in that in the past? Oh, I don't remember. But we do get these flashbacks that I completely forgot were even in the book. Um, about how his sister was eaten or something, teeth and all, during some war. Yeah, I know that he wanted us to see the teeth and the poop because it was horrifying, but I was like, why the hell would they eat teeth? I mean... That was a very good question. When I read that in the doc, I was like, oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, why would they eat teeth? Because, I mean, you would think that if they did even, you know, they were just, like, so hungry, they're eating the jaw, um, you'd think they'd spit out the teeth. There's no nourishment to be had there. Could you crunch a tooth, like, with your teeth? It'd be be hard. Um, I guess they're baby teeth, though, so maybe they're softer. I don't know. It's kind of like that Drew Barrymore zombie show, and she'd carry the teeth around and snack on them like little corn nuts. <laughs> oh, I love the Santa Clarita diet. I'm very sad that it was canceled. Yeah, that was disappointing. Um, I forgot we needed to talk about El Mostro um, because there was a homosexual element to that. At first, I thought you said Omarosa. Not Omarosa. I do not want to talk about that woman. Um, okay. El Mostro. Um, the serial killer, um, the Italian That's Italian for Omarosa. No, it is not. Um, oh. <laughs> um, it, from looking at the Wikipedia, it looks like, um, it turned out that it was not one person. It was a group of people, um, and they were specifically targeting couples. Um, but one of them was a gay couple. Oh. One of them was a gay couple, um, that they killed, that they think they killed by accident because one of them had long hair and they thought it was, you know, just a normal straight couple. Um, so they ended up killing this gay couple and it's mentioned, um, in the book Cannibal. So I had to look that yes. shit up because I was like, oh my God, is that even a thing? Um, and apparently according to Wikipedia, it definitely is something that happened. Oh, that I didn't even, I did not even think that could have been a real case. Yeah, I mean, he wasn't. He was obviously not the person working on it. Um, none of that was probably true, but it was a, a real serial killer case that was going on at the, at the, in the, I think the eighties and nineties. Wow, he was basically like the ill devo of serial killers. Like it's not just one person; it's a group, right? Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't know if they they sang as beautifully though. The killers, you mean? Yeah. Oh yeah, maybe they'll put out an album <laughs> so yeah there's that killer um and then i mean you know do you think so after the suckling there's like a yada 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 like five years later 
And next thing we know, Barney is sees them at the opera in Brazil or something in South America. Um, and there's some narrator talk about how they just love doing it all the time. And I was wondering, do you think Hannibal Lecter? Do you think they like? Does, do you think Clarice helps Hannibal Lecter kill people? Um, I don't. Um, I think. I don't think Clarice turned into a completely different person. She's always had a moral center. Um, I don't think that... Which makes it also difficult to just imagine her going with Hannibal Lecter in the first place still. Um, But I don't... Yeah, he's twice her age, and he's crazy. I don't think she helps him kill people. Um, Just eat them. Well, you know, the the TV show does an interesting thing... Um, where um, Jillian Anderson is on the show as his um, therapist, um, and he kind of takes her to Florence with him in the third season, um, and she's kind of just stuck with him um, because um, she knows stuff about him and he knows stuff about her. He kind of manipulated her into killing somebody um, and kind of going along with some of the stuff that he's doing, and so she, I think she just kind of feels like she doesn't know what to do um, she knows she just can't leave and she mm. she's kind of pretending to be his wife in social settings um, and I'm wondering if that's kind of where Clarice is at um, at the end of the book at the possibility um, that that's echoing maybe a, a different theory about Clarice's relationship with Hannibal at the end of the book maybe um, she went with him because she's on drugs and she's being hypnotized and now that she's with him she doesn't know what to do maybe she feels guilty about being implicit in that Paul Crindler thing and other things that he's done um, and doesn't really know what else to do than just hang out with him yeah the book doesn't uh, engage with that at all though the book even acts, the book even says she hasn't been given drugs in forever and she's still doing this. Well, that's, yeah, but I mean, she that's what got her into the situation, but it's not going to help her get out of it. Maybe now that she... I mean, she's a former FBI agent. She could kill him in his sleep and get away with it if she wanted to. She could turn him in. Well, I suppose It would be so true. easy for her to get out of this. So I guess it just ultimately makes no goddamn sense whatsoever. Um, it makes no sense. It feels like it was put in there just to almost kind of fulfill this weird, again, this weird creepy fantasy of like an old man getting to hook up with a young independent woman um, and make her dependent on him and also to be shocking. Yeah, I mean, that was definitely its one accomplishment is that it shocked the shit out of everybody. Um, It also made me want to write a fan fiction about Ardelia Map hunting them down and like, talking to Clarice and being like, Clarice, why are you going along with this? What What's wrong with you? Don't you remember who you are? And, like, getting some answers out of this situation. That would be really good. Yeah, you should totally, we should do that and get, get Casey Lemons back and Jodie Foster and, like, a 90-year-old Anthony Hopkins. <laughs> yeah. Can be a, it could be a stage play. I really like Ardelia, um, and I especially liked it when she is, like, at least trying to figure out what happened to Clarice and like she f- threatens to fuck up Barney um, she's like <laughs> forgot about that yeah. yeah tell me where she is if you, I find out that you are not telling me something I will fuck you up um, I was glad because I didn't remember if Ardelia had really done anything whatsoever or if she'd just been like oh I guess my best friend's gone 
<laughs> well, yeah, because she's not in the movie either. She's not, which no. is uh, which is a, a shame. She has a much bigger role in this book than she did in Silence of the Lambs, and they at least put her in Silence of the Lambs. Yeah, I mean, well, because they're they're grown ups now, and they 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 have a, a weird connected townhouse together, um, that connects at the kitchen. I thought they were two separate duplexes, but they connect in the kitchen. Oh, I don't think I realized what was going on. Yeah, I paid attention this time because I had always liked the fact that they kind of lived together um, after they were done being friends in the FBI. Yeah. So if you um, could, if, what character are you in this book? Tag yourself. Who are you? You have to. You're one character in this book. Well, I I did give this some thought. Um, but I was really depressed for most of the last two weeks, and so part of me wanted to say Mason, um, <laughs> frustrated and unable to do anything and trying to get my revenge on the world. Um, but he also drinks the tears of children. Yeah, that was the other side of it, though. I was like, yeah, he's also um, actively awful and does bad things to people, regardless yeah. of the situation. So then I was like, well, I guess the only other one I could be is Clarice, um, because right, I you know I am trying to do the best I can with what I have, um, and just hope that you know I will get somewhere one day. And you'd totally run away with Anthony Hopkins if you had the chance. Yeah, I definitely would. Um, I I, do, I would. Um, I I love his his calmness in any situation. Um, you know, the police could be after him, um, he could be about to be fed to pigs, um, and, like, he's, he's hanging there over the pigs, and he's just quietly interpreting to, um, the Italian people what Clarice is saying. Um, he's just so capable and calm, and I feel like he would make me feel better about whatever crisis I felt I was going through, just having him nearby and, and letting me know, you know, things are going to be okay. That's true. He would take care of you. He is very devoted. Yeah, so I guess Clarice is a better answer. I would be one of the pigs. <laughs> oh my god. Because <laughs> I'll eat anything you put in front of me. Well, if that if that's what we're going with, then I would be one of the pigs too. Yeah. Great, we can be pigs together. Okay, fun. So do you want to quiz me? I do. Yes, I do. Let's take a short break and we'll come back for the quiz. Okay. Have a good break. You too, Josh. Ding. All right, welcome back to Gross... What's the name of this podcast? Gross Misinterpretations. Oh my goodness. Yes, Gross Misinterpretation. I'm glad that's not a question on the quiz. (laughs) Yeah, me too. (laughs) All right, I'm ready. (laughs) I have a bonus question for you, too, just because I thought it was funny and I wanted to talk about it. Okay, great. All right, let's begin. Question number one. This is technically from the first book, but it's mentioned in this book um, specifically, so I felt it was counted. Um, How many people does Hannibal kill escaping from Tennessee? Four? You get one more guess. Is it higher or lower? Higher. Five. Correct. And so it's the two guards. 
Oh, the two paramedics and then the guy in the car. Yes. Okay. And then, yes, and then who, they mentioned that he, his identity he stole. Yeah, they also what? mentioned that he killed Miggs too, but that wasn't part of the escape. Um, That's not part of the escape. That was another weird and thing he, about the book. Um, it sounds like he kind of wanted Miggs to throw semen on her, but then got mad at her about it and then killed him for it. Do you remember that? I didn't. No, I didn't pick up on that. Well, I thought it was weird, but moving on. Question number two. What does Barney decide to do with the dead pigeon he finds after him and Clarice are done talking? Wait, what? So, Barney finds a dead pigeon on the ground, I think as Clarice is coming up to him and finding him to talk to him. Um, What does he decide to do with that dead pigeon? Oh, doesn't he, like, pluck it and eat it? Yes. Okay, yeah, I, I got, okay, yeah. I thought that was really interesting. I was like, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah, it was very matter-of-fact. He just takes it home, plucks it, cleans it, and has it for dinner. Uh-huh. Uh, question number three. What is the name of the estate that Mason lives on? Oh, I don't know at all. Something Farm? Yes, it's Something Farm. I don't remember the word at all. It is Muskrat Farm. Muskrat Farm. I was thinking Clydesdale Farm. I remembered that because on the TV show, um, Margot drives a car, and I think the license plate says something that makes out muskrat or something like that. And I was like, why does it say muskrat? And then I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, cause she's a big Captain and Tennille fan. That must be it. Yeah. Question number four. Where was Hannibal Lecter born? Vienna. No, you get two more guesses. Austria. Vienna is in Austria. <laughs> so you still have two more guesses. <laughs> so am I right? <laughs> still no. I don't know where he was born, Transylvania. <laughs> You're getting closer. I don't know geography. Michigan. I have no idea. <laughs> he was born in Lithuania. Oh. And that's where the um the the Lecter estate was. Mm. The illustrious Lithuanian Lecters. Yes. Uh cha- uh no, not chapter. Question number five. What is the one thing the one and only thing that Hannibal Lecter goes to Hamaker Schlemmer to buy? Oh shit. Oh god. What did he get? Uh, I remember you talking about it... how tacky it was that he was shopping there, but he only went there for one specific thing. I know. I got so distracted by my own past trauma of reading The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo 2. They really should have just called it The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo. <laughs> that would have been a good title. Um, is he getting like a whetstone to sharpen a knife? Incorrect. Would you like another guess? Would I like what? Guess again. I'll give you and I'll give you two more guesses. Uh, a blender. Incorrect. Is it a kitchen item at all? Um well, sort of. It's How can not, it be sort of a kitchen item? It's not a kitchen tool. But it could be in a kit. Is it a mirror? Mm-hmm. 
No, what is it? It's a picnic basket. What? Really? Yeah, he talked about this. Oh, does he put does he put like stuff in it? Is that when he goes to leave it under Clarice's car and then gets kidnapped? Oh, that must be it cuz he he talks about the picnic basket quite a bit and how it has these little buckles and straps and stuff like that. That's cute. Yeah. All right, good try though. Good try. That was a tar- that was a hard mm-hmm. one. Question number 6. Why did Donnie Barber still have his liver? Who the hell is Donnie Barber? Donnie Barber is a um, a bow hunter um, that annoys all the other hunters in the area because he will kill out of season um, and he uses the wrong things that he's supposed to and he's just a oh, big old troublemaker. And Hannibal hears about him at the gun show. Yes. He still has his liver because he drinks a lot and has cirrhosis. That is correct. Good job. Thank you. Let me turn the page. Question number seven. <laughs> this is going to be a hard one. Unless you oh, unless great. you specifically vividly remember it. Question number seven. What kind of place does Crindler think Clarice lives in? A trailer. No. Uh... I don't know, a lesbian flop house. Yes. He thinks she lives in a goddamn dyke den. <laughs> Yay, okay, I get a point for that. Yeah, good job. Thank you. Question number eight. I don't even know what that would be. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't really know either. Uh, maybe um maybe the crack snackers from uh, Rose Matter. Oh yeah. Um, the, what are the, what were they called? The sisters of sisters and daughters, sisters and daughters. That's right. They were literally named by their their connection to men for some reason. <laughs> I didn't even think about that. I didn't either. I really wish we had brought that up in the podcast. <laughs> but they could be. That's also the women have sisters, Josh. I know women have daughters, but still, it's a thing that is done a lot. Yeah. Um, question number eight. What was Clarice accused of when the FBI called her in on charges? Is this about the drug shooting? Oh no, this is when this they is accused later her of in the hiding book. evidence. This is later in the book. Um, they accused her of hiding evidence, right? About Hannibal Lecter? Um, I think that was part of it, but there was a specific um, accusation that was more... Um, that was more specific and more a bigger deal um, because it wasn't even something she did. Well, she wasn't hiding evidence either. Um, well, that's true, but I mean... Um, like being in contact with him secretly? Sort of. Because she put, they, cause they placed like a fake personal ad that was had a secret message to Hannibal Lecter, but it wasn't her. Yes, there you go. Yes, it was technically okay. unlawful disclosure of sensitive material to a fugitive felon, which was her posting that ad to tell him that the, the FBI was on to him. But she didn't do that. Okay. Got it. All right. You're doing good. I'm doing better this time than usual. Question number nine. What is Icarus? Icarus? Yes. 
Is it a computer thing? No. That's what I thought, too, when I saw it in the book. I was like, oh, is that a computer program? But it is not. And it's not talking... Is this... It's not talking about the mythological Icarus, either. I mean... Kid Icarus. Or Kid Icarus, for that matter. Is it Italian? I'll give you a hint. Um, It's a periodical that Hannibal subscribes to. So so it's some sort of journal? Uh Uh-huh. Journal of medicine uh-uh. psychiatry uh-uh. um journal of flying flying where to the sun <laughs> uh is the international journal of solar system studies oh i was close maybe half a point <laughs> no i don't even get a half point for that one all right, the last one should be fairly easy. Um, what did Margot plant at on the crime scene? This would be- oh, it, it was Hannibal Lecter's uh, hair. Right, it was like a piece of his scalp that had his hair on it, yeah. Yeah, because she snatched it. Well, he told her to. Yeah. It was very sweet of him. He was like, just, just frame me for the crime. Uh, it was surprisingly so she- sweet of him because he also followed up on that, like, he, he literally, like, called and left a voicemail or something to really incriminate him. Yeah, see? Good therapist. Yeah, that was nice of him. Yeah. Okay, bonus question. Okay, bonus. What does Ardelia make for Clarice when she's stressed out? Is this when Clarice is helping her cook? No. Gosh, I have no idea. It's mac and cheese. It's Granny Ma- Granny Maps Magic Tea. Oh, it's tea. Yeah, and I thought it was funny because Clarice doesn't know anything about tea. It could be chamomile for all she knows. She just thinks it's this magical tea that her grandmother came up with. Um, so I thought that was kind of funny that she just oh. keeps talking about Granny Maps famous tea. They should package. They should have sold that as like a promo item. Yeah. Along with the book, you know, go to Borders and buy, pre-order Hannibal at Borders and get a tea bag of Granny Maps Magic Tea. <laughs> go to Borders and get tea bagged. Got it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that could have been their, you know, their ad slogan. Uh, All right, so I got, let's see, one, hang on, whoops, one, two, three, four, five, six and a half points. Hey, that's pretty good. I failed again. <laughs> well, usually I think the last couple of times you've been about 50%, right? Uh, yeah, 50 to 60. What was question three? I got half a point. What was that one? That was, what is the name of the estate Mason lives on? Oh, right, because I said farm. Yes. <laughs> yes, great, half a point. All right, well, that was a good quiz, Josh. Thank you. Oh, yes, thank you for participating. Yeah, we'll take another short break and we'll come back with some off-topic chat and a preview of our next episode. Awesome. Sounds good. Hello again. We're back from our break. Chance, what did you have to talk about? So um, I had done some more research on the guy I mentioned on the last podcast, Ray Blanchard, who had done um, a lot of the studies on gender identity in the late 80s and early 90s. Um, right, the one who did still this. Ki- 
the one who did the study that we were referencing. Yes. Um, and so he's still kicking today and pissing people off on Twitter. So we can post a link to this article um, that is defending him. Um, and the article is from Breitbart. So that will tell you everything you need to know um, about this guy. Um, and the comments are just like batshit crazy. So if you value your own mental stability, don't read the comments. Well, that's a good that's a good rule just in general, but think but that's a good reminder. Well, I mean, sometimes the comments are just fine or a little off topic, but these are just full on unhinged. The article itself is as balanced as an article on this website can be expected to be. <laughs> but the comments are lunatic. Just they're just great. All right, well, we'll definitely put a link to that in the podcast description for this episode. Thank you, Josh. And as for next time, what are we going to be doing? Stephen King's It. Oh, that's right. The second part of the movie is going to be coming out here in September, I believe. Um, and September 6th. Since um, there's a lot of it to get through, we're going to try and get it into two parts. Um so that we're not dealing with uh, you know, all 9,000 pages of it at once. Um, so part one of it we will be doing for um, our next episode. And then we'll be doing um, part two, hopefully to at least be in the same month as um, the release of the second movie. Yes, and to clarify, because it's divided up into a lot of different parts. Um, not just part one and part two, like the movie. Um, and I had... Oh, we, so we're doing parts one and two for the first section of our podcast, if anyone wants to read along. And then the second half of the podcast is parts three, four, five, and the epilogue. Oh, I'm glad you're on top of things. I hadn't even gotten that far, so okay, good to know. Yeah, because the book is divided up into five parts plus an epilogue, but parts one and two are roughly like a third of the book, and it's like mostly the childhood flashbacks and then once you hit part three they're mostly adults i guess it has been a while since i've read this one yeah i did go ahead i've already read parts one and two in preparation so we can just you know we'll we'll record next week when you're done reading these 450 (laughs) 500 pages (laughs) all right well we'll see how that goes then join us next time when we are going to be back to Stephen King and talking about the the first two parts of it. Um, and thank you for joining us for Gross Misinterpretation. Thank you. Bye. Bye, everyone. Bye, John. See you next time. Bye, listeners. I love you.